Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Chapter number five, and I I, I have a word I want to share with you. I want to start out with one of the greatest minds in Christianity, especially in modern Christianity. His name was Matthew Henry. Here's what Matthew Henry had to say. Put it up there, and here we go. When Christ died, he left a will. Look at me and shout, he left a will. Come on, say it again. He left a will. Now, Christians act like they have to die in order to receive the benefits of the will that Jesus left. But that's just backwards, isn't it? I said, that's backwards, isn't it? You're the recipient after the reading of the will. You're not, you're not the testator. Listen to me. When he died, his will was enacted on your behalf. And at that very moment, you became the recipient of what he left in his last will and testament. And that is the old and the new combined in the 66 books we call your Bible. Slap your Bible and shout every word of it belongs to me. Right now, it's mine. I have it. Thank you, Jesus. Now give him glory. When he died, he left a will. In that will, he gave his soul to his father. He gave his body to Joseph of Arimathea. He gave his clothes to the soldiers. And he gave his mother to John. There's an entire chapter about that. But to his disciples, do you know that God reveals himself not to everyone, not to casual acquaintances. God is made known to those who diligently seek him. Can you shout yes? I said, can you shout yes? God is made known. Is anybody looking for him? Some, some folk can't even get out on a clear day at noon to find him, but here in Columbus, Ohio, when they're prophesying snow falling at 7 o'clock, from, I, lo- I love how they do that. I think weather people just get in, in cahoots with one another, Mother Parsley would say, and they prophesy snow. Now, it's not going to snow all day, but it's going to snow from 6.45 to 8.30. And it's only going to snow on the property of World Harvest Church. And that's it. And everybody reads that. And they read that as the will. And so they make all kinds of wrong decisions. But glory be to God, there are those of us that throw the covers off of ourselves, not in the middle of the day because we don't sleep in the day. But there are those of us that are dreaming again and we are asleep at night. And we got a, we got a dream in the middle of the night. And as the Song of Solomon said, we are throwing the kivers off of us right in the middle of the night. And we're going out into the danger of the darkness to seek him who who my soul loves. Shout, I love him. Gave his mother to John, but to his disciples, not to casual acquaintances, 
he left everything, who left everything to follow him. Jesus left not silver nor gold, but he left them something far, far better. He left them his peace. I want you to jump straight up on your feet right now. And at the top of your lungs, I want you to clap and wave and shout. And I want you to thank God for peace. Peace. Peace in your mind. Peace in your family. Peace in your heart. Peace when you lay down at night. Some folks stay up half the night because they don't want to go to bed because they don't have any peace. Jesus said, my peace, I leave with you. Hallelujah. Everybody hold your hand out and shout. Shout, I've got the steadiest hand in the house. Worry is an insult to God. I'm not worried about anything. I don't, I'm not trying to have peace. He left me his peace. Somebody shout glory. In 1626, uh, the Dutch West India Company purchased a little island up around New York called Manhattan Island. They traded the Lenape Indians for that entire island a chest full of worthless beads and trinkets. In 1867, the, the Russians, nobody ever said that that administration was very wise. They sold the entire state of Alaska to the United States of America for $7.2 million. How many of you would like to buy a few thousand acres of that Mineral rich, one of the, it is the most mineral and resource rich state of the union, the largest state of the union, more money in that land than any other chunk of land its size in the entirety of the United States of America, and they bought it for two cents an acre. I, I got a better exchange for you. Shove your neighbor and say, let's trade tonight. In 2013, in the World Series, which was incidentally won by the Boston Red Sox. Relax. <laughs> Dr. Dupree is a Red Sox fan. Dr. Dupree, the president of Valor Christian College, is a Red Sox fan. Pastor Tim McCann, World Harvest Ministerial Alliance member over in North Carolina, is a Boston Red Sox fan. They have two. Well, the World Series was played, finalized, on October the 30th at Fenway Park, and it broke what was commonly referred to as the curse, which began in 1918. Now, this is 2013. That thing began in 1918. The Boston Red Sox were the perennial champions of Major League Baseball, winning championship after championship after championship. But they made a decision to trade Babe Ruth 
to a struggling team from New York called the Yankees. And there you can see it, Yankees by Ruth and home run bat for over $100,000. And the Red Sox did not see another championship at home for 95 years. While the Yankees, Dr. Dupree, appeared in 40 World Series championship games and won 27 of those 40, 27 World Series. But the most one-sided, the most lopsided trade that was ever transacted was rather sealed by blood 2,000 years ago. It was driven by a love that was so profound that the great apostle Paul would pray earnestly that you and I would be able to comprehend what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height of that love. That covenant was between God and his son. Perfection with perfection. It was not between God and man. Did you hear me? It was not between the almighty and frail humanity. The covenant, God almighty, I want to run. The covenant that you and I are the recipients of where God says, I'll do this if you do that. That covenant was between God and his son, perfection and perfection. And God is not just about ready to start a failing track record with you. Somebody give him praise, give him glory. The cross of Christ is the legal. Now I like this. That's the reason I put it in the book. It is the legal trading table. This thing is not based upon law. It is based upon immutable law. It cannot be altered. It cannot be changed. It is more faithful than the law of gravity itself. How many of you believe if I drop this handkerchief, it's going up? Anybody? Anybody at all? Believe that if I drop this handkerchief, it's going up. Which way is it going? Why? Gravity. But if you get 30 miles away from the crusty surface of the earth, it's not going up. It's not going down. Then it's going up. But you have more faith in the law of gravity than you have in the immutable law of the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on this rugged and cruel beam which says yes to you of every blessing, yes to you of every prayer. Yes, God's heard you. Yes, he's answered you. Yes, he'll heal you. Yes, he'll deliver you. Just like the handkerchief dropping. I wish somebody just... I want to talk about these exchanges. This cross 
becomes the legal trading table where you and I are offered a series of extraordinary exchanges. Now I want you to think for just a moment. Is there something in your life that does not line up with God's promise from his word to your life. Whatever it is has no legal right to exist in your life. It is a trespasser. I love what the late great Dr. Oral Roberts used to say. Satan, get your hands off God's property. Shout it. Lay your hands on your temples and represent your mind and say it again. Lay your hands on your belly, representing your spirit, and shout it again. No, come on. The devil's been tormenting your spirit, tormenting your mind. Doubt and fear and unbelief. Grotesque images flashing and burning in your imagination, draining you of peaceful and restful sleep. I'm telling you, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, lay your hands on your belly and shout, Devil, get your hands off God's property. Now jump up on your feet. Lift your hands in the air and say the same thing over your body. Do it now. Say it again. Say it again. Grab the hand of your neighbor and shout it their direction. Shout it at your other neighbor. Find somebody else and shout it to them. Let him that stole steal no more. We are headed into 2014. There is about to be transformation. A new form is about to be established. A new paradigm is about to be released. used to say you'll take off you what the devil put on and put back on you what the devil took off there's an exchange to be made here something left something abandoned something to never be returned to and something glorious to take its place shout hallelujah You think those exchanges were something? Shout too good to be true. In the natural, they're too good to be true. 
except that the one that offers them is incapable of deceit. This is not a poker table. We've got some sunshade, sunglasses. We've got some sunglasses. Give me some sunglasses. I want some sunglasses. Here's a way. Here's the way we act like God's playing. He's keeping all his cards to himself. He's bargaining with us. They always wear sunshades because they don't want you to see their eyes. Are you listening to me? He is not here to deceive you. He did not allow them to drive tempered spikes through tormented flesh into this wood to trick you. He said, I'm a healer, I'm a deliverer, I'm your king, I'm your God, I'm a blesser. And he took his sunshades off and said, look me in the eye and I'll tell you truth. Somebody say, Jesus said it. I believe it. And it's so. It'd be too good to be true if multiplied billions of us had not experienced these exchanges firsthand. They would appear to us but a mocking dream. Oh, I hear the sweet psalmist of Israel shouting when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. We were like them that dreamed a dream. Let's talk about the first exchange. What what happens here? We exchange our wretched, abhorrent, malignant, sinfulness for his righteousness. Second Corinthians, write it down, 521. He made him sin, created him sin. To become sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. Look at me, stop, look at me. Do you believe, my precious believer, that God Almighty made him sin? Made him to be sin. 
he was not created as you were in sin. His 14-year-old virgin mother did not, as Job complained, regarding himself. Jesus' mother did not conceive him in sin. Watch me. This is not in the book. It's a parenthetic insert. There are many. He lived a sinless life. Tempted in every situation like us, yet without sin. And when he climbed on this beam, God had to make him sin. You, on the other hand, were born into sin, and in sin did your mother conceive you. He had no sin, you had only sin. But if on this be, he made him to be sin, then on this beam, he made me to be righteous. Shove your neighbor and say, don't you judge me. I've been made righteous. Adam and Eve chose the wrong tree. They believed the oldest lie in the book. You shall be like God. Prior to that day of disaster, man and God were one with eternal breezes blowing around his mortal shoulders. Adam heard those words, who shall separate me from the love of God? But Adam sided with God's great archenemy, 
and a great creeping sickness entered into his soul. The pure had become polluted. A huge gulf now separated creator from creation. What was it that could have been so menacing and so mighty? What could have been so dark and so drastic as to have driven a wedge between a timeless God and a temporal man? I announce to you this night, it is the madness of sin. I need you to touch your neighbor and tell them there is a madness to sin. People act like righteousness makes no sense. What makes no sense is sin. There is a craziness, a disconnect. There is a madness. A mental and spiritual and physical disorder from the womb. Just go ahead and say it. Thanks a lot, Mom. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. From the womb, human persons suffer under its congenital effects. It separates our heart from his heart. It drives us. It drives us. It pushes us. Austin came to me back last year and he said, Dad, I don't understand it. There's something that when I want to do something right, something wrong pushes me. And that's when I got to share with him that what Jesus did on this beam was not to just deliver us from the sins we have committed, but to deliver us from the cause of the commitment to sin. Oh, you're not with me. John Wesley asked his mother, mother, what, what is sin? Susanna answered, anything that impedes the tenderness of your conscience. You better think about what you watch on television. Anything that weakens your reason. You better think about what you drink, what you take, what you snort, what you shoot. Anything that weakens your ability to reason, anything that obscures your deep abiding sense of God. I wonder at times why we have to play the music just right, have the atmosphere just right create everything just right for folks to try to experience a little bit of the presence of God. I think that it must be 
And we do an awful lot to dull our deep desire for him. How badly do you want him? Anything that increases, she said, the authority of your body and your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions over that of your spirit, that thing to you is sin. But at that cruel biting beam, we find an offer on the table waiting one man whose blood was never tainted nor troubled by Adam's infectious disease hangs on one tree on one Friday willing ready and able to make an exchange with you hear him Give me your sinfulness, says he. And I will give you what in a million lifetimes of lifetimes of striving you could never receive. My righteousness. Jesus took not only our individual acts of sin, I want to slow down here. I want to make sure that you understand that when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it was not only a lesson in faith. It was a lesson about this tree. Your Bible said that he came along and saw a fig tree and seeing that it bore no fruit, he said to it, cursed be this tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And they went their way. They came back the next day and the disciples said, Lord, the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered not from the outside in. Not by the outward rudimentary exercises of religion. Not by trying to do better. Oh, in 2014, we're going to shout transformation from the rooftops. I'm so weary with going to church and associating with so-called believers who have had no transformation in their lives. They're just people trying to do better. They just try to learn some scriptures and learn some principles and try to do better. Can I tell you that at this tree, he cursed the curse.
Jesus and said, no man eat fruit of thee forever. Watch. And it died. I can't die. He did not die here. What he became died here. Sin. Oh God, I want give us some preachers with the understanding that we must stop dealing from the outside in. If it's cursed at the root, why are you trying to spray insecticide on the fruit? You can't bless what he cursed. The only way we will ever get there is to understand he did not just deal with what you did. He didn't deal with your adultery, fornication, He didn't deal with you. Thievery, lying. He didn't deal with the outward manifestation. I want to show. Here, shout there. My sin at its root. If you're sinning, you're acting against your nature. Man said to me, I fell into sin. Dear darling, you dug a swimming pool with a teaspoon. Filled it up with a water drop. Built you a high dive out of toothpicks and dove in. You didn't fall into sin. It's not your mistake. Preachers that have handled the word of God, handled the deep things of God, and move out into adultery. I have to believe the core was never cursed. What did Jesus say? I'll take you right back to Jesus. I'll mess with you. Jesus said, how can you being evil 
bear good fruit. Reverse it. How can you be good at the core, bear evil fruit? Does a, a good tree bear evil? An evil tree bear good? Look at the tree! You are not a sinner because you commit sin. You commit sin because you are a sinner. Now you're getting mad at me, see. Now I'm dealing with your worldview. Now I'm messing with your mind. Now, now I'm tormenting your philosophy. Because as long as you don't ever have to deal with the root, all you need to, my sister, my sister, you said to me, Rodney, come on, let's go steal one of dad's cigarettes and we'll repent later. Why are you laughing at her? Huh? Huh? Until you realize that he dealt on the street not only to forgive you for the sins that you committed, not only with your sins, he came and cursed at its root your sinfulness. So says the apostle, we are without excuse. Shout me down now. Paul said, I seek to do good and evil is present. I root. Root. There's a root in there. And some of us have not had our root cursed. We have but had our limbs trimmed. These things I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. For he that habitually commits sin is not born of God. But if we do sin, not when, if, we get ifs and whens. I, I want to do a sermon on, on the mix-up of biblical ifs and whens. He said, if you sin. He didn't say when you sin. He would have said when you sin if he expected you to. He didn't say when. He said if. 
Let's not make if when. If I sin, I have an advocate, an attorney at the legal trading table. It was faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Do you understand that born in man at birth is the nature to sin? That's why we must be born again. Somewhere between when you were born and you are born again, there's got to be a killing. I'm going to try it again. Somewhere between when you were born and born again, you had to die. If we share with him in his death, we share with him in his resurrection from the dead. You can't get resurrected. You can't have a resurrection without transformation. And to be transformed, the old you has to die. So the other exchange is your death for his life. Not your life better, not your life made a little easier, not your life with a new philosophy, not your life with an added social event once a week, your life, your death for his life, his life, his life. John 10, 10. Thief came to kill, steal, destroy, but I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Isaiah, look at that, leave it there. Look at that. Sufficient in quantity. He satisfies you with long life, but superior in quality. Somebody shove your neighbor and shout, I'm about to live the good life. Somebody just praise God for a minute. I... Oh, hallelujah. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. You have to work for wages. Sin is a difficult taskmaster. He is a terrible slave master driving you. I sense by the Holy Spirit that there are multitudes upon multitudes of good people
who want to do right, who want to live right, feel right, move right, speak right, live in righteousness, fulfill the call of God on your life, receive healing in your body, be a bright shining star on the ebony dark background of a cursed world of what God can do in a life. I sense that you are trying, that you are striving, and I sense that you are becoming disheartened and that you are becoming discouraged, some even becoming distraught, some giving up, someone bowing the knee, somebody saying, I just can't take it anymore. I keep trying to do it. I keep trying to do it. I keep trying to do it. What you need, my dear brother and sister, is to understand that your limbs have been trimmed but your root has not been cursed there are those that don't get up with a want to God will deal with the want to he will deal with what you want to do and he will make you want to do what you didn't want to do and he will exchange your want to and you will find yourself desiring and being driven by righteousness instead of sin and the struggle will cease and you will find the air of the Holy Spirit beneath your wings and you will feel light like red bull. We used to shout what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. They don't know that. <laughs> Waves of love o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into Some of you have to try too hard to pray. Some of you struggle to do what is right. Some of you are overwhelmed with fear, distraught by distraction. Because you've been in the church so long. But oh, we're about to have a revival. Where people that only have their limbs trimmed are about to get the curse, the root cursed. And that fruit that keeps coming up that you have to cut off will cease to grow in your life. Finishes. I haven't had a bit of help all night long. But I'm going to finish this part. Oh, how I want. Oh, I see your struggle. I feel you. Your struggle. 
There's no one more miserable than someone who has been to Calvary and had only their sins dealt with. There's an exchange that's supposed to happen here. I don't know if you were able to watch the Trinity Broadcasting Network last night, but my dear friend, Dr. Ron Phillips, did such a masterful job. He was talking about this section of the book, The Cross, One Man, One Tree, One Friday, began to weep. He said that's the message that has to be preached in America. Why are we trying to puff up and powder up and prop up what God said to kill? There's nothing more miserable than something or someone that's halfway between life and death. Here's my suggestion to you. If you're miserable, die. Let him put you out of your misery so that you can live. Did you ever see a picture of war, a movie, a soldier mortally wounded, still trying to fight, and finally surrenders and says, just let me die. I sense multitude. Bless your hearts. Fighting. Just go ahead and die. Just go ahead. I wish I had time to tell you he took your shame. We're ashamed to die. We're ashamed to say to our friend, 
on the pew with us. Help me die. Do you know why the Roman centurions were necessary? Because as badly as he desired, he could nail his feet to each side of that beam and with one hand nail his arm and he's still got this one left. Somebody else had to help him die. And if God, if Satan can keep us ashamed and blinded to the point that we only become half alive because we're afraid to ask, help me die. Help me die. Then how will we make the great exchange? Our death. We tried to give him our life for his life. You cannot have his life and yours too. That's why you're miserable. That's why there's such a struggle in your Christian experience. But I know you. You're the good ones. You're the ones that struggle. You're the ones that fight. You're the ones that come out when it's 18 degrees and six inches of snow on the ground. And some of you died. And some of you are here tonight because you are alive unto God. The core, the root, some call it the origin, original sin has been dealt with in your life. But for many, it has not. The culprit, errant preaching and believers heaping teachers to their ears. Oh, death. Who shall deliver me from this body of death. In Rome, one of the most horrid, other than crucifixion, forms of death was if one man murdered another man, they would take the dead man's body and strap it to the back of the living man and make him carry it until it began to rot and decay and disease would then infiltrate the body of the living man from the dead man and he would die. This is what Paul was crying. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? You gotta get rid of it. You have to die. Pastor Rod, you're freaking me out. You're talking about dying smiling. 
These are they who are delivered from the power of death. You know what being delivered from the power of death means? That means you choose to die on your own terms. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about a choice to die. John, before the cross, shouted, less of me and more of him. May I decrease that he may increase. I'm going to get through it. The wages of sin is death. Death's reign began on planet earth the moment Adam fell from grace to disgrace. Every one of us is born both dying and already dead. Dying in the sense that the death rate among humans remains stubbornly at 100%. The needle hasn't moved. You're not getting off the planet alive. Hebrews 9, 27 is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. Yet, in another very real sense, every person walking the surface of this planet is already dead unless we have come to the cross and made the great exchange of his life for our death. We stand with the Ephesians of whom Paul said, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You simply cannot have his life and yours too. We attempt to preserve what God declares must be crucified. Everything in this kingdom is diametrically opposed to everything in the kingdom you came out of. Up is not up, it's down. If you want to receive, you give. If you want to live, you must die. The born experience Again, experience application is never unnecessary, nor its consideration out of place. Those who've not experienced the new birth will face an eternal death at the end of this brief wisp of time we call life. A tragedy of unspeakable proportion, a tragedy God sent his son to prevent. It is the cause of this cross at that tree Jesus made it possible for you to exchange your death for his life in every form. I gave you John 10, 10. Shall I give it to you again? No. For the saints who make the great exchange at Calvary. Oh, I want you to get this. What exchange am I talking about now? What exchange am I talking about? What exchange am I talking about? Your death for his life. That's the exchange. For those who have made that exchange, which is what? Your death. For his life, death loses its power to terrify. Something beyond 
profound happens when a believer grasps the truth of this promise. 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Listen. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. First Corinthians 15, 55, oh death. Where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.